Hi, everyone. Welcome to HR Works, brought to you by BLR. I'm your host, Steve Bruce. HR Works provides clear, relevant, actionable information on topics that matter to HR professionals. When you're armed with best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional value to your organization, HR Works. Tech and HR, a challenge for most every HR manager. Where can tech really help? And how far can you trust it to do your job? BLR and Silk Road recently completed a survey to shed some light on what's happening in the trenches. And we've got Alexandra Levitt with us today to help us digest some of the more interesting findings of the survey. Alexandra is the CEO of Inspiration at Work. She's a former nationally syndicated columnist for the Wall Street Journal and a current writer for the New York Times. She has authored several books, including the best-selling They Don't Teach Corporate in College, Success for Hire, and Blind Spots. Alexandra currently consults, writes, and explores leadership development, career, and workplace trends on behalf of American Express, Deloitte, DeVry University, Intuit, and Silk Road. Alexandra, welcome to HR Works. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be back. And listeners, I just want to point out, since this is our last episode of 2017, all of us at HR Works wish you a great holiday season and a happy new year. Okay, so Alexandra, let's start out talking about recruiting. Our survey showed that about half responding organizations have a tech-based applicant tracking system. Does that square with your experience? Yeah, that number, Steve, is actually a little bit low. I would have thought that it would be higher at this point, that applicant tracking systems were the first things to be automated, if you will, several years ago, and I would think they would be fully institutionalized in most organizations. And when I say most, I mean more than half. So that one was a little bit surprising to me, but uh, perhaps the definition of tech-based threw people off a little bit. I think that, that maybe... More people are using technology than they admitted to, or they they misunderstood the meaning of of tech-based. But I think my overall gut feeling on this one is that it's a slightly higher number if you're using any technology at all to facilitate applicant tracking. That's just, uh, you know, my two cents there. Okay. Thanks for that. And then uh, also about half of the respondents said that they use social media or other software technology to help them develop a uh, pool of talent, you know, that is applicants they can't hire at the current time, but might want to hire in the future. Have you found this to be a common practice, and is it a best practice? This is absolutely a a common practice and a best practice. I feel that uh, what people are doing to develop the pools of talent now is that they are going on social media, for example, that would be the number one place where people are doing this, and they are posting um, relevant, and when I say relevant, it it means that either it's an industry-related or it's company-related internal and external content, and engaging with this pool of talent around it. Uh, They're also recruiting and supporting people who are internal brand ambassadors so that those people can get uh, 
people who are not currently working in the organization excited about potentially uh, coming there and contributing, and also putting keywords out there so that they can um, search themselves for the best people to, to join these digital talent networks and to, to have in their back pocket in case a uh, position opens up and also to attract people to come to, the, to their properties, their social media and digital talent networks um, as well. And so in terms of the best practices for doing this, and we can talk about that later if you like, but that there are a few. I, I think that you do have to be careful when you are using social media to uh, to build a platform in which you, you intend to connect with what we call passive candidates. I think it's, it's very easy to, to kind of fall into pitfalls that we recommend that individuals who are searching for jobs don't fall into. And of course, you as the HR professional don't want to do so either. So we can certainly talk about those as well. All right. Well, then more specifically, what, what exactly are hiring managers and HR professionals doing to source their candidates on social media? What, what are the best approaches Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, in addition to posting that relevant content and doing so on a regular basis, I think that that is one of the things that, that we see um, is not quite at best practice level right now, where the majority of organizations will have someone who is engaging with passive candidates on social media who's posting blogs and posting interesting articles and having two-way conversations on Twitter and Instagram and such, but I don't see the frequency of posting being what it necessarily needs to be. I I think you really have to have a dedicated person who is on there really every day um, having conversations with people. And, And, yes, that does take effort. It does take time. It does take resources. So that's certainly a best practice. It's just you're always there and you're always available. In terms of other best practices for sourcing candidates on social media, you want to be really transparent about viewing applicant profiles. If, if you're doing this, um, you want to be admitting um, that you're doing it. Don't do it kind of on the fly and and hope that no one will figure out that <laughs> they're being looked at because inevitably somebody in an interview is going to mention something. And while I think most candidates now are savvy enough to expect that someone will be looking at their profile prior to an interview, you just it's one of those things you just would rather be honest up front and just say that you're doing it, it's fine. You also want to post more about others than yourself um, as an organization. So you want to be promoting industry material, analyst material, anything that candidates might find helpful about the job search and, and going on in your field in particular, rather than having it be a purely promotional tool. The other thing you really want to do is you want to consult legal about the details of compliant postings because you definitely want to avoid bias. There is a lot of uh, guidance around this now, but uh, essentially you don't want uh, to be using language that could be perceived that could be perceived as attracting a certain type of candidate or candidates from particular groups. And speaking of groups, you want to be active in, in LinkedIn groups, for example. It's a great way to source industry-related content and to get access to a wide range of great passive uh, people who might not be looking for a job but just might be looking for information about the field. And then finally, I would say that the best practice now is to consider a paid option uh, on some of these social networks. In particular, LinkedIn Premium is a great one for targeting specifically the type of candidates uh, you are looking for, and uh, it will help streamline your efforts and maximize your time and resources in, uh, in doing this. Okay, great. That's helpful. Now, what are the uh, most 
productive specific sources of candidates. I'm thinking about their sites like LinkedIn or their job boards or, or, or what? Where are people going and having success? Well, Steve, I think that depends on the field and industry that you are in. And I know that that sounds a little bit like I didn't answer it, but the reason I'm saying that is yes. LinkedIn for most fields is going to be the best source because pretty universally it is the number one place where candidates are going to um, either promote their careers or look for new jobs. If you're a professional, by and large, you are on LinkedIn these days. So LinkedIn is going to be pretty universal. However, beyond that, I would have to say it depends on the industry because many industries have very specific outlets online, job boards that might be associated with an organization, for example, or an association. So, for example, if you were in public relations and uh, you belong to the Public Relations Society of America, PRSA and just being affiliated with it is a great thing for HR people to do because they are really being surrounded by people who very um, specifically have shown interest in pursuing um, that career path and have done quite well at it usually. So that would be my second recommendation in terms of where to look is does your industry or does your field have an association that's very popular that a lot of people belong to and does it have a job board associated with that? Um, There are, of course, all sorts of other types of job boards that are more general, but I would caution people to just accept the notion that all of the people in your industry are are going there because that, that may not necessarily be the case. It might be far more specific, just depending on on your your field. And how can you find that out? Well, you can ask. Ask around to some of your current employees. Look, where do you hang out online? If you wanted information on a given subject, where would you go? If you were looking for a new job, where would you go? And see what they say. Well, that's very helpful. So now I want to talk a little bit about onboarding. Our survey showed that about a quarter of respondents have automated their onboarding, and about half of those... Uh, say they get all the admin chores done before the person reports to work. So they they call that pre-onboarding or pre-boarding. Is this important for listeners to consider? Oh, it's so important. And I, I think that the main reason it's so important is that these days there is so much time between offer acceptance and start date. And during this time, Candidates, especially if they are top talent, may be interviewing elsewhere. They might be having second thoughts about their decision. And so to engage in pre-boarding, meaning you actually reach out to them and give them information, give them support, it reinforces that they've made the right choice. It diminishes any scariness, any apprehension they might be having, and it makes them feel like they're really valued and that they're welcome. It also, just from a practical standpoint, helps them get acclimated and up to speed much more quickly so that once they start, meaning once they're at their first day, they can ramp up to full productivity much more efficiently. And so I think those are all of the reasons why engaging in pre-boarding or pre-onboarding is actually going to save you a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of resources uh, in the end and will also ensure most of the time that you do not have that attrition or that fall-off between offer acceptance and start date. All right. Well, that makes a lot of sense then. Um, Now, further on onboarding, about half of our respondents in that survey said that onboarding just uh, is really one day. And then we had about a fifth of the people said it lasts longer than a month. So what do you think is the recommended length of time for onboarding? 
Well, my recommended length of time would actually be closer to a year or at least six, at least six months. And of course, the implication of that is that it's not just human resources that is involved in the onboarding process. Traditionally, when we looked at onboarding, it was the orientation, and, and that's where people are getting that one-day number. People would come in, and they would sit in a room, and they would get all the information about the organization. They would complete all the paperwork. Maybe they'd have a guest speaker or two. Maybe the president of the organization or someone higher up would, would come in and pop their head in and, and introduce themselves, and then that was it. You were kind of like left to your own devices once you would leave that orientation room. And I think most HR professionals now understand that to be fully effective, onboarding has to last a good amount of time, and it has to include substantial input and participation from the hiring manager and his or her team, getting that person up to speed, not only introducing them to job responsibilities, but also to set up one-on-one meetings with people in other departments who make things happen, taking them out uh, for events so that they feel like they're part of the team, uh, monitoring closely their performance so they know what their short and long-term goals are, and they can connect with their manager pretty regularly on those. And these are all things that need to happen in, in that three, six, nine, twelve 12-month marks. So I don't think onboarding should be ever be fully over until that person is not even a new employee anymore. They're just like everybody else. And even then, we still need to focus, as, as we've talked about with Silk Road um, many times, we have to still focus on their employee experience to make sure that it's continually rewarding. Yeah, it becomes an important part of uh, engagement and retention. So then talking about performance management, the survey found that about a third of respondents use an automated system for performance management, and often that's to facilitate more frequent feedback or check-ins that uh, a lot of organizations are moving toward. So why are companies starting to incorporate those uh, more frequent feedback um, and and does software really help with doing that? Well, Steve, this is one of my favorite questions and one of my favorite developments that we've seen in the HR field in the last decade. And really, if you think about the traditional performance review process, it, it dictates that no one really thinks about feedback unless it's the designated time, which typically is around the year mark of annually, or for some organizations, it's biannually, so it's every six months. And by this time, Goals are usually out of date, and much of the feedback you're going to get on those goals is totally meaningless. So what organizations are doing now is they're using software, they're using technology to facilitate the two-way exchange of guidance that's more in real time. And this is reflective of the increasing agility that's really required of all businesses today. And the advantage is it improves engagement, it improves retention, because people receive more continuous encouragement, more continuous praise, and they also receive constructive course correction along the way. So if something is not going well, it doesn't fester, it's not an issue that's left to get worse, the manager can nip it in the bud right then and there. And it makes employees feel like their managers care. And if there's a problem, employees are confident that it can be addressed in a timely manner before it has a chance to get out of control. So for all of these reasons, um, automated performance management is uh, gaining in popularity. And one thing that's critical for us to mention is, although it's automated, it still requires that, that human touch. So the automated component can help us indicate when we should do things and how and, and maybe facilitate some of that microfeedback or those, those quick little check-ins where you get uh, some information and guidance along the way. 
But you also want to be making sure that you are seeing people face-to-face as much as possible, or if you are remote, using teleconference so that, or video conference so that you can actually see uh, the person's face because we, we can't fully ever fully automate this because performance management, so much of a, an important part of it, is that, uh, that rapport that people have um, with their managers and with their team that, that supports their development and growth. So while we see the, the growth of this, and I think overall um, it's a very important development, we need to remember, too, that we can't lose the human aspect of this. It's still going to be um, something that is very critical um, for success ongoing when it comes to performance management. So a lot of good reasons for companies to think about moving in that direction. Then also sort of following along, the survey showed that only about 13% use technology for succession planning. So uh, it seems like more organizations maybe should be focusing on that. How, how could they use technology to facilitate their succession planning? Oh, gosh, this is, this is critically important. Succession planning um, is one of those things that nobody likes to really think about because you don't want to think, oh, someone's going to quit suddenly or, oh, there's going to be a disaster and all of a sudden we're going to have all these vacancies. But the truth is, is even if things go perfectly, you still need to think about who's going to be leading your organization in the near future. And in particular, this is important because who are the near future leaders of your organization? They are a group called the Millennials. And the Millennials have shown us that they want to know where they're going in particular, like they want to know their exact career path. And they're much more likely to, to stay in an organization if that's been formally laid out, if they've been approached and said, look, we, we think that you're fantastic. This is the role that we are grooming you for. If they hear that and it's actually been articulated and there's a development plan in process to make that happen, you are going to have that top talent much, much more likely to stay. And it also gives you an opportunity when you do this type of succession planning to care for and cultivate leadership competencies among people that you've identified because most people are not born leaders, born managers. They have to be developed. You might have certain strengths and you might have certain areas for improvement. And by formally identifying those areas, you can make sure that you are helping people gain them before they actually need them, meaning before they are in the official leadership positions. And then finally, um, succession planning helps organizations cope in the event of an unexpected setback, what we were talking about a minute ago, or challenge. And also, I, I like it, too, because it gives colleagues a voice in terms of the direction of the company. When you poll people who might be at the mid-level or the senior level and you ask them, what do you, who do you want to see as the, the future face of this organization? Who do you feel has the right skill set? Where would you slot this person? If they really feel, oh, my gosh, this person cares about my opinion. And then that helps with their retention. So in terms of the technology itself, well, today's um, software really helps leaders maintain a super close connection with performance and unearth areas for growth. So by tracking this stuff, you recognize, oh, my gosh, this person would be a great leader, but their interpersonal skills need a little bit of help. And so you can get them the training they need, again, before they find themselves officially in that role. And the systems also allow for better direction in terms of assessments and also help us all be more transparent in monitoring individual career paths. So once you've identified someone, you can they can actually see through the system what progress they've made to, in terms of uh, 
acquiring the right set of competencies to take on that leadership position. It's just, it's just good all around for helping everyone understand what's going on. And it's good uh, preparatory uh, exercise. Um, and I think that while we don't want to think that the current leaders are, are ever not going to be around, the truth is that we're going to have mass retirements of the baby boomers within the next five years. This was something that we were expecting to happen years ago. It didn't because of the uh, the recession, had baby boomers working a lot longer, but they're only going to be able to work for so long. And so the millennials and Generation X will be taking over, and we need a clear plan for that. And fortunately, we have great software that can help us get there. Great. That's very helpful. Um, now then I'm wondering about training and development. Our survey showed that about half of respondents use tech uh, somehow to deliver, manage, and track training and development process. So I'm interested in your reaction to that and also wondering what you think is more effective for training, uh, in-person or e-learning training? This is a good question. And personally, I think a mixture, and this is probably not going to surprise you given what I've said so far, but I think a mixture of both is usually best. Uh, They serve different functions. In-person training is often more motivational and inspirational. Um, People leave feeling really good, feeling like, yes, this is why I want to do this. But issues tend to arise when it comes time to incorporate the lessons into their everyday life and jobs. And this is where e-learning can really come in handy. The the best e-learning really allows employees to practice new skills and apply them to ongoing work scenarios. Now, when we look at the best way to develop e-learning, it needs to be more streamlined and concise than in-person trainings because your attention span is a lot shorter. Now, obviously, with a mobile or dispersed workforce, most, if not all, of the training has to be virtual. It's just very difficult um, to get all those people in the same room. And in this case, it's best to provide as personal an experience as possible so that your employees get some of the same benefits they would as if they were there in the room. And I like to say that you should do at least some of it, maybe a kickoff live so that you can use video and chat so that there can be people there in the room who might be working in a particular office, but your virtual employees can, you know, quote unquote, meet other participants. And you can also provide mechanisms that allow traditionally in-person trainings to be interactive as opposed to people just sitting at their computers being passive recipients of information. Uh, I, I look at that as kind of like the death knell because if, if you're giving someone the opportunity to do something else while they're supposed to be paying attention to the e-learning, they're not learning. So you want to do everything possible to ensure that people are engaged when they are um, doing these 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 courses. And that might mean you have a quiz every so often to make sure that the people are are internalizing things and that they're understanding things. It could be that they have to click on certain things, but either way, you want to keep their attention focused on uh, on the matter at hand. And it's it's certainly helpful when you keep it, as they say, short and sweet. All right. Thanks for that. Now, uh, two other things uh, we've been hearing about a lot. One is the uh, need to make everything available mobile because, uh, as you say, the millennials, they want to operate on their phones. And also we have this issue of the dispersed workforce with a lot of remote workers. So how does technology play a role in in facilitating these experiences? Well, I think if you're not, if all of your HR information at this point is not fully optimized for mobile, you are behind the curve. So that should be the first thing that people should be focusing on is using your HR tech systems to 
ensure that the employee experience that you are offering, that every time you have a touch point, you have to assume that people are reading things, engaging with things, filling out things um, on their phone. And I think it's sometimes it's as simple as saying, oh, we have this application. And traditionally, you would imagine somebody filling it out on a desktop and submitting it on a desktop. Now you have to be assuming that they have to be able to look at it, understand it, and have a great experience with it on a very, very small screen. And fortunately, there are more and more people who are schooled in being able to do this. In fact, um, application development for mobile is very fast growing, and we see that it is one of the key entry points for what we call citizen development, which is basically your everyday person in an organization, not someone in the IT department, who says, oh, we need a, we need a job application where someone can download it and they can fill it out and submit it on a phone. And you have just a regular person in whatever department, either human resources or otherwise, who, who has a passion for application development and can use a low-code or no-code platform to do that. And so that is a trend that we are seeing a lot, and I think it will play into organizations' ability to leverage mobile and uh, be more successful doing so. And, of course, for the dispersed workforce, Mobile is absolutely critical because a lot of times people are not in an office. They might be on the road. They might be in the field. And so giving them real-time access to all the things that they would have if they were in the office is important in ensuring that they have a really consistent and rewarding experience um, with your organization, despite the fact that they might not be sitting there um, at a desk like many of your other people. All right, thanks. All very helpful. Now, finally, um, a more general question. Uh, as far as HR tech transforming organizations, in our survey, 17% of respondents said that tech had transformed their organizations very much for the better, but 42% said the transformation was somewhat for the better. And, of course, there were some people who said it was worse. So I wouldn't call this exactly a ringing endorsement, What's your take? How well is tech doing at transforming our organizations? Well, I, I think that, um, you know, believe it or not, there are still organizations that uh, aren't using HR tech um, at all. But within five years, um, that's not going to be the case. It's going to get easier to use certain software and applications over time because they've been around. The implementations are more mature. So we can think... Um, think about things like onboarding and payroll as uh, implementations that for most organizations have been around a little bit. And uh, there'll be new technology that will be appearing um, all the time. And people aren't ever going to fully catch up, but it is going to get easier. And, and one thing that I, I like to project a little bit into the future here is that one of the main things I think HR professionals are going to grapple with is technology that involves human and machine collaboration and artificial intelligence. Now, when we look at how we're using that now, it's mostly in the form of, of chatbots. And we, as HR professionals, have to determine the most efficient way to design, to implement, to evaluate and tweak our usage of these bots and other forms of artificial intelligence for greater productivity. Because if, if we don't figure out how to use what we already have, when more technology that's advanced comes on the scene, we aren't going to know what to do with that either. So I think that if you are behind, the key message here is just not to give up and bury your head in the sand, but at the, to embrace it and say, you know what, there are certain things I don't need to learn at all because they're already obsolete. 
Instead, let me just jump on the bandwagon now and move, you know, full throttle into bots or artificial intelligence. And the key thing is, is just to, to recognize that this isn't going away as a trend. And so it's something we all need to be focused on. And it's not necessarily something that you as an individual have to be an expert. There are lots of people around who can help you. As our example for citizen development showed, there are people all over the place in all departments and all functions popping up who are interested in these things, interested in how, how do you create a bot, how do you develop an application, and use those people to help you get up to speed. It, it's not something that every individual has to be proficient on, but every department certainly needs to be. So exciting times ahead, I think. To uh, sum this all up, any final recommendations for companies that are looking for tech help in managing HR? Well, I, I would just say that, you know, the role of the HR professional that's a human being um, is not going away, and uh, this is going to be something that I think is going to concern a lot of people, but human professionals um, who know other people and who know the field are more essential than ever because there are going to be times when our tech systems um, lead us in a different direction, and we need human judgment to be in a position to make the best decisions for the business and for the people. And I believe that HR tech is valuable because it puts us in a position to spend more time rather than less on the person-to-person element of work and the employment experience. All right, great. Alexandra, thanks so much for joining us today and providing helpful and practical insights. You're welcome. It's always my pleasure to uh, to be here with you both, and I hope everyone listening today has a wonderful holiday season. We'll see you next year. And the same for uh, for our team and, uh, and also to you. And you can look for our next episode on January 2nd, 2018, when our topic will be gamification and how, when properly designed, it can work for your organization to develop talent, improve productivity, and even impact your bottom line. So listeners, let me know what HR work should cover next. sbruce at blr.com. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Bruce for HR Works.